Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by AOL Radio at AOL.com slash podcasting. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 168 for October 29th, 2008. Clickjacking. Security Now is brought to you by Astaro, makers of the Astaro Security Gateway, on the web at www.astaro.com. And by audible.com. For your free audiobook and a whole lot more, visit audiblepodcasts.com slash security now. It's time for Security Now, the show where we cover everything you'd ever want to know about security. Uh, and we do it with a guy who is the king, really, as far as I'm concerned, a man who discovered spyware, named spyware, wrote some of the most used security utilities out there, including Shields Up, Mr. Steve Gibson of GRC.com. Hi, Steve. Yes, in fact, sometimes we're discussing things that you'd rather wish weren't the case. <laughs> well, I mean, lately it's been kind of bleak because it's like, there's bad stuff and there doesn't really seem like there's any cure. Yes, that's true. I mean, there because what we're beginning to see now is that the technologies we rely on fundamentally are really being exploited. I mean, what we're going to talk about today, clickjacking is is very much like that. Um the good news is there are things now that people can do. Um, Firefox users are essentially completely protected by recent updates to NoScript, but uh, we'll we'll talk about all that and uh, also about some. Well, there's lots of news in the last week since uh, lots since, of security. Yeah, since 167. Wow. So, well, yeah. let's get started. But before we do, let me mention our good friends at Astaro, if you don't mind. Uh, Astaro are the folks who do this great Astaro Security Gateway. We're always talking about the Astaro Security Gateway. It's kind of Combines the best of breed in commercial and non-commercial software, open source software, to give you the best unified threat management out there. The Astaro Security Gateway. These appliances uh, do everything you need to protect your enterprise. I mean, when we're ta- whether we're talking, of course, a great firewall, uh, intrusion protection, but also three kinds of antivirus, two for email, one for the web. We've got anti-spyware, anti-spam, anti-phishing, and all of this is regularly updated with the Starro Up-to-Date, an automatic feature that keeps your ASG constantly up-to-date. That's all part of the total protection that the Astaro Security Gateway provides. Also, some convenience. Think, for instance, uh, remote access VPN via SSL, which is really easy to implement for even the boss could figure this one out. And there's... Uh, there's uh, uh, um, Digital signing using OpenPGP and SMIME, digital encryption. Again, completely transparent. It's done by the gateway, so your users don't even know they're encrypting their email. But it's safe, it's secure, it's a Staro. I really want you to give it a shot. In fact, here's the deal with the Staro Security Gateway. You could try it free in your enterprise right now. A demo unit just for you. Call 877-427-8276. That's 877-4-A-S-T-A-R-O. For Astaro, if you're a non-commercial user or you want to try it in your non-commercial, you know, at home just to see, you know, kind of get your uh, feet wet before you propose this to the boss, 
You can download, there's a VMware appliance. It's one of their most popular appliances at VMware.com. Or you can just download the Astaro Security Gateway software and put it on your own box at astaro.com slash security now. A-S-T-A-R-O dot com. It's the first thing you should think of when it's time to secure your enterprise. We thank Astaro for their support of security now. So let's uh, let's get an update on what's been going on uh, in the world of security, Steve Gibson. Well, it's funny. Um, uh, Microsoft put out an out of cycle patch last week, and and yeah, and I I I picked up a little blurb in our in GRC's news groups. Some people were saying, "Do you think Microsoft deliberately does this?" After Steve and Leo record the podcast, <laughs> you know, like the moment after it's been recorded and, and before it actually goes public, because this dropped out, you know, at exactly that time, um, it is substantially different than or, or more of a problem in some ways than than I referring to it uh, during the tech guy stuff over the weekend when you were talking about it. Because this is not a user goes to a bad website with their browser sort of problem. Oh, okay. Uh, I misunderstood it then. Yeah, it is a it is like one of the old style packet arrives at your. It's computer. a worm. Okay. Yes. Oh, I yes. didn't know that. Okay. Um. Yeah. It runs. It, it's a an exploit in the the RPC um, service uh, that runs in all versions of Windows. It affects. Windows 2000 XP and Server 2003, the architecture of Vista, the, the, the updated security architecture, mitigates the problem. But it's, you know... Mitigates remember, or, or eliminates? Mitigates. It's, it, it's, it's reduced from critical to important okay. on those platforms. So why? Is that because UAC pops up and says... Something's trying to access your um, system. It, it, it's the nature of the way they're running the service. The service that is exploitable, um, the remote procedure call RPC service, is it's 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 sort of sandboxed so that it's not able to do as much damage as it can under under two thousand and XP. But okay, so so this is a it basically it's the the service which is always lit was always running and open and listening for things coming in on ports 139 and 445. That's the traditional Windows file sharing ports, mm-hmm. you know, file and printer sharing and other things. So many things have happened to mitigate this being a problem, which is why, you know, I didn't immediately find track you down and say, Leo, we got to, you know, immediately alert our, our users to it. I'm Microsoft had to do the responsible thing and call this critical and push an out-of-cycle patch. but well, And that's because there were websites already taking advantage of this, right? There were sites out there that... Uh, well, no, no, it's not websites, but the way they discovered... Oh, there were worms floating around. Yes, the way okay. they discovered it was that they... they there, that, that I'm, and I'm not sure who it was. It wasn't Microsoft. It was somebody else who saw some suspicious traffic on the net, like, you know, packets arriving to, to 139 or 445, and they looked at them thinking, hmm, what is this packet trying to do? This is trying to do something strange. Well, turns out it was it was it was attempting to exploit this vulnerability that was not known. So this was a zero day exploit, meaning that it was it was discovered in the wild. I mean, for the first time, 
And so, well, and I saw that a security uh, service within two hours of Microsoft's release was able to reverse engineer it. Yes. With immunize or something like that. Immunity? Yes. There, there, there was an immediately a proof of concept. And now there are, there are active worms and the, the exploits have been, have been moved into some of the security toolkits that, that exist. So, so this thing exists now, now setting back. So, Okay, once upon a time when we had Windows 2000 that did not have a built-in firewall or we had Windows XP before Service Pack 2, which did have a firewall, but it was not on by default, that was the era where we had the NIMDA and the Code Red right. and, and Blaster worms. Right, I mean, and Zotop, too. So is, is this like those? Yes, this is as okay. bad as those. Okay. Except that, that the world has changed so much since then because Service Pack 2, of course, turned the firewall on by default. Right. And so many people are behind routers that block incoming traffic by default. And one of the other things that Microsoft has done is that they've limited by default file and printer sharing to your local network so so those those services are not being offered out on the whole internet itself right if 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 you look in the details of file and printer sharing and the server service inherently they said wait a minute it makes no sense unless someone's nuts and wants to make you know their c drive available on the whole (laughs) internet you know they would, it would only make sense to have that available on the local network. So there is local network topology. However, the, the concern is that if something got into an intranet that is behind either a, 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 a home or small office firewall or in a corporate network, then potentially it could this would allow things to spread between machines within a network. So that was really where the concern was, is essentially, you know, you're behind the router, you're behind the firewalls, you're you're in a local environment where you might have trust among machines. This potentially abuses that trust because there you would have a scenario where you might, for example, have have a, available file and printer sharing among machines, and this can can exploit a um, essentially it, it, it's a classic uh, buffer overflow on the stack in this remote procedure call service running on all Windows machines by default. Hmm. Hmm. So it was bad, but it didn't just go wild on the outside because Microsoft has since. Those, you know, since the era of those worms, they've done many things like limiting the scope of the network where file and printing sharing was available to the to the local network um, and having a firewall turned on and having those ports blocked and and so forth. So it's really an example of the success, in fact, of Microsoft's improved security policies that what would have been a big deal was nothing. Right. Yet they still put out the patch. I guess that's because there are still people who are not running firewalls. Well, that and th- there are this there, there there is the scenario of local exploitation oh, internal and, inside the network. Right. Yeah. And and so I think that was what that was what really motivated them motivated right. them to do it now rather than wait three weeks for the next second Tuesday of November when they 
could have certainly fixed it. It also, demonst- it also demonstrates how quickly they can act if they really want to. I know I've criticized them often for like having bad problems that they know- have known about for six months mm-hmm. before they do something. And it's like, okay, clearly when they want to do something, they can fix something really fast. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I think I got another one this week, but maybe that was just some of my machines didn't get updated earlier. There wasn't another one this week, was there? Mm, not, not, no. Okay. No. That's probably the, um, the other machines doing. You know, uh, in, it, uh, it, it, it really is in a way a testament to you, too, because you're the one who's really been promoting this idea of using a firewall. The whole idea of shields up is, you know, protect yourself. Um, and, and so I think that that, that drumbeat's really been heard. Well, and in fact, you know, shields up, the, the original concept of shields up was to tell people to... Right absolutely close down those ports right. i mean and the other thing too for example in, t- in terms of mitigation i'm you know i have a a, a a cox cable modem and cox blocks those ports because what, of the, was it was it it's rpc so was that 138 139 where yeah it, it is the same file and printer sharing ports okay. several services all live on those ports so it's so it's 139 microsoft said 139 and 445 which to me says it's a TCP exploit. I don't right. know for sure that it can't be done over UDP, right. but but 139 is the is is the TCP version of the older file and printer sharing that worked on 137, 138, and 139. When 137 and 138 were UDP protocol, 139 was was TCP. 445 uses both UDP and TCP, sort of in 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 the new generation of of Microsoft's use of these services. But it's it's specifically in response to the prevalence of those worms in the past that that ISPs began blocking those ports. Right. So there's another example of, you know, how things have moved along such that this wouldn't be a problem because, you know, even a Cox cable user with a wide open Windows 2000 or old XP machine or XP machine where they were deliberately trying to open those ports, Cox wouldn't have allowed that stuff to get in from the outside well so good news i mean it sounds like uh and it's true that we haven't seen uh, you know any any uh i remember when zotob came out and cnn was brought to its knees we haven't oh, yeah. seen anything like that no yeah no will this be will these worms be endemic to the net in the same way that sasser and uh and other uh worms just kind of live forever yeah we're not we, we've now we, we, we will see we are seeing traffic that of for a new Trojan, which is looking for machines wow. that have this vulnerability. The sad thing is, is those are that those machines get bit. Are they? It's the Windows ninety five machine that's running in dusty in the closet somewhere doing some crazy little service. Yes, and, and we've seen that before. We, there, you know, strangely enough, there are like an old Windows two thousand yeah, servers. Yeah, exactly, no firewall on the net. Just sort of abandoned, but but you know they will end up getting found. Right. They'll get exploited, and then they in turn will start searching for other machines in in standard worm propagation behavior. And so now those machines that that'll have this thing on them will just be spraying this traffic out on the net. You know, as I call it, internet background radiation mm-hmm. (IBR). It's just stuff that'll live there now, and we just put up with. Yep. Um, Opera, just after, I think it was last week that I told people about the, the update 9.6 point, I'm sorry, 9.61, which fixed three be- relatively 
worrisome vulnerabilities in Opera. Just like the day after they released the patch, another related one was found. Oh, man. We don't yet have the update for it. It'll be 9.62, and the Opera folks have said, you know, real soon now we'll release it. But I wanted to let people know, probably by the time, you know, a week passes and this next podcast comes out, I mean, our, you know, our our next one, I imagine that, that Opera 9.62 will be out. They're just finishing the final stages of testing for this update. It's, it's a, it's a cross-site scripting vulnerability that uh, in there was a demo I saw where you could click a link and it would pop up your your Windows calculator, meaning that it was able to unfortunately <laughs> no run run nothing up, should be able to do that <laughs> run code on your machine. Yeah, that's not good. No, <laughs> that's a that's a very dramatic proof of concept when when a program just starts itself. Oh, yeah. And I've um I've uh, I've talked several times about my own experiences. Uh, or with with credit cards getting away from me, I received a robocall this morning from my main Visa card asking me if the following uh-huh. charges had been made that morning or uh-huh. this morning, literally while I was putting things together for for this podcast. Wow! It's like, uh, no, those are not me. Wow. So I I I called them back and confirmed these were not my charges. The first one was a four cent charge uh-huh. for computer consulting then a $1 charge on eBay and then a 400 and some odd dollar. And they began going crazy with it. Um, but again, this was visa and uh, they're no longer our sponsor, but they did immediately lock the card down. They denied those charges. They went through a bunch with me. We walked back to dinner last night, was which was the last time I'd used the card. I said, yep, that one I recognize nothing since. Do you think it got stolen at the restaurant? No, no, no. This is it's. Uh, I'm. This is a no. I, you use I use it this, online. I use a card. I Everywhere. mean, you know. I <laughs> we, again. We've talked about what to do in terms of safe use of card. I am going to again check my various cards to see if anyone, any of them, offer a native one-time use service. Right. Last time I checked, they did not. I'm hoping that someone will. If not, I'm going to make heavier use of of PayPal's. Um, uh, plug-in for that purpose. E- even though I don't really like it in my browser, I may try it in Firefox now that I've moved from IE to Firefox. Um, but I have been using it more. The problem is it withdraw. It insists on withdrawing from my checking account. Oh, and I really don't like that. Also, it confuses my bookkeeper because you know she's like being she'd like to balance my my checkbook and says all these random charges that right, are don't do. have any yeah. don't have any checks against them. So I think what I may do is create. A either transfer a block of money to PayPal and then have it pull from that. I think I can do that in, in the same way that you've got PayPal credit in there and it can right. pull from that. Right. I think I may just, you know, move a block at a time and let it sit there. And then, but it's, you know, it's amazing to me that they, the, the rate at which a heavily used credit card is now being compromised, even by someone who's, you know, very cautious about, you know, about where I go and, and, and who I give it to. So, Why do they do those two small transactions? Um, those were to test whether, you know, to, so they didn't hit any limit on the card to see whether, you know, they probably received this card in a batch of them that they had purchased from someone. So, it's, and again, this is generally not, it's not like the, I use the card 
yesterday and it got abused today, it's probably from some use months ago right. where there was some exploit on, on someone's server that lost a huge chunk of cards right. and mine was among them. And it took a few weeks for it to you know drift over to wherever it went uh, before this you know be, really began getting abused. There are, uh, I know there are some visas, some MasterCards, some American Express cards that allow you to generate a one-time numbers. It's just the, you know, I think it's the bank, the uh, the, the offerer. Although American Express if, uh, is offers its own cards, so I think they offer it as well as a one-time number. Yeah, it's time. It's time to yeah. get serious about that. Yeah, I, you know, just- I have that PayPal one. I haven't used it all that often, um, and I probably should start using it more. It's, you know, it's kind of a little bit of a pain because you got to generate it and everything. But boy, you know. Yep. Although now with everybody so aware of it, you got to wonder how often does that happen now? I mean, how I mean, how often do they get away with it, I guess? You know, that $400 charge, you know, do you think they got the merchandise? Uh, I'm not sure. They, they're, they're, they're sending me a, a printout of the uh, you know basically of everything that might be suspect for me to go over it and make sure that it's not nothing that I did right. and then for example there was a 599 charge from Amazon that was probably some Kindle subscription of mine that it just happened to cycle at that time so it's like okay oops whoop you know there is one of mine that's that was part of an automatic charging cycle so right. I have to just go through make sure but of course I'm completely indemnified from charges that i say you know i've looked at these i'm sure they're not mine right which is you know that's that's what you want it's just a pain to lose the card i had it memorized of <laughs> you course. start all over yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and i did have a fun spin right story to to share with someone who who deliberately was anonymous he used our the security now slash feedback form to 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 send this to me but and he wasn't anonymous for any particular reason, but he said his location was somewhere in California. And he said uh, his subject was Spinrite makes coworker a believer. <laughs> and he said, I've been a listener of the Security Now netcast since episode one. And I've always enjoyed the Spinrite testimonials that you share on the show, much like this one. I'm a systems administrator at a laboratory and have had Spinrite help me both in my professional and personal life. Nothing quite as amazing as many of the stories that I've heard on your podcast, but I thought I would share this one as it shows the power of Spinrite to prove itself to those who doubt its true power. I had heard of Spinrite in the past, but never purchased it or used it until I started listening to your podcast. I told my coworker, a fellow sysadmin, about Spinrite, and he did not seem to share my desire to try the product. He seemed to think that Spinrite was just like other snake oil products on the market that look fancy but do not really seem to fix much. I still decided that I would purchase a copy through work to try it out. The purchase process was a little bit longer for me since I had to go through our purchasing department, but they are the only thing that delayed me from receiving my copy. Once I had it downloaded, I burned the ISO and was eager to try it out on a failing hard drive. But he didn't have one. He said, I ran it on several systems around the office that were not having problems and showed my coworker the various screens in Spinrite that showed what was going on. But since there was nothing wrong with these systems, it really did not impress him. Then the day to really put Spinrite to the test finally came. One of the tablet PCs that was hooked up to an instrument in the lab started having trouble booting. And similar to other testimonials I have heard, this system was stuck in a boot loop where the system would start booting, blue screen, reboot, and blue screen again, and so on. My coworker had taken this trouble ticket 
and was not looking forward to reinstalling the Windows on this system along with all the other software. I handed him our copy of Spinrite, and without much optimism, he booted the system off the CD and started Spinrite. This time, right off, Spinrite switched into Dynastat mode and started chugging away, repairing the first few sectors of the drive. He seemed a little more interested when he saw this different behavior and watched as Spinrite worked on the drive. After a while, we left Spinrite to its task and decided to come back in a few hours. I don't remember how long exactly, but later that day, Spinrite was done and it was time to try booting the system into Windows. My coworker rebooted the system and Windows started right up without any problems. After this experience, not only did my coworker never mention his doubts about Spinrite, <laughs> he began using Spinrite on every system he thought might have a hard drive problem, and we purchased three more copies so that we had a site license. To this day, Spinrite is still one of our favorite tools, and we use it all the time. Fantastic. Thanks, Steve, for the great podcast and for your work on Security Now, and thanks, Leo, for not only the Security Now netcast, my favorite, but also for all the other great netcasts you do. I'm leaving my name out in case you do decide to read this on the podcast, but I'm putting it in my email just in case you want to reply. So That's thank great. you, anonymous listener. I certainly appreciate the testimonial. Always welcome. Well, let's, uh, let's talk about uh, something that uh, actually is pretty timely. It's pretty newsworthy. Uh, I, I started reading about it just a couple of weeks ago. I'm sure you started getting emails right about then, too. Clickjacking. Yes. What's interesting about clickjacking is that it's it's a problem which is arguably serious, yet it's not a consequence of any bugs. So much of what we talk about on the show are are like are the result of of specific defects in software, which which the the author of the software didn't see somebody came along and discovered a bug and said, Oh, we can leverage, we can exploit mm. this defect to our benefit. Now, also there are, there's sort of another class of things, sort of like the, the, uh, the cross site uh, request forgery that we talked about two weeks ago or cross site scripting that we've talked about where, for example, bad guys can, can take advantage of web two O functionality where a site will accept text from a user and that text if it were script would then run on subsequent visitors browsers when that text is is again shown like in a blog or or for an online forum or something that you know thus requiring that 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 accepted text be sanitized for exploit so there's there's an example of the the power of the technology sort of being turned to a malicious purpose. So clickjacking is something similar. It, it, it's, it's interesting, too, because it's been around for a few years. Well, it's, that's it's funny of, because uh, you, we just started hearing about it. But, so you're saying it, it, it's not new. Well, it, it's, it's, I would relate it a little bit to like the sock stress that we talked mm-hmm. about where they sort of the – the the concept the sort of a dim awareness of the potential for problems had existed but no one really sat down an, until you know to, to 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 sit down and look at it closely and so a couple of researchers 
uh, security researchers, Robert Hansen and Jeremiah Grossman, they were they were getting ready to do a presentation for uh, that, that was going to be earlier this month, uh, OWASP, the Open Web Application Security Project. And they said, OK, you know, we're going to do it on this uh, an, sort of an interesting class of exploits. Well, as they explored this sort of dimly worrisome problem and and like matured it for their for literally for their presentation they realized much more could be done that was like more worrisome than they had thought mm. for for example one of the things we we've not yet really talked about flash cookies but but flash cookies are another type of of cookie you know user identity persistence in the same way that that web browser cookies are that are supported by um they originally was macromedia and now adobe um flash technology we've talked a little bit about it in the context of banks using it yes in order in order to maintain a grip on you when you know in in like when you you deliberately (laughs) exactly and in fact our stickum chat which which you know if you watch our live uh, video it's on flash and the chat is in flash and those flash cookies sometimes cause problems. So we, the Stickem people who use our our Stickem chat are very familiar with it because one of the fixes for those problems is to clear your flash cookies. Right. So what happens was some of the things that these guys re- realized they could do, and, and I'll explain how in a second, but they could, for example, trick people into enabling their webcam and microphone through... Right. Through abusing some security problems with Flash, and Flash is configurable from using Pages on Adobe's site is the way you 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 configure the the, the security settings, or by using URLs that 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 the, the Flash object will see. But normally, you have to push buttons to make this happen. Well, what these guys realized was that is entirely possible to Due to the the complexity of of contemporary web browsers, to essentially have layers, it's possible to have something hiding below the surface, literally on like a layered page, where where the the user clicks on what they see, but what they're actually clicking on is content on the on the page behind. So you can use things like like dynamic HTML and CSS. You do not need scripting. So 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 even disabling scripting doesn't pr- protect you from this. And in fact, disabling scripting can in some cases make the problem worse because there are there are some of the ways that the, that this is exploited is by using frames and causing other sites content to appear in a frame but then obscuring that. So, so for example, you know, we've talked about frames um, in several different contexts in the past. The idea of a, of a frame on a web page is that uh, you, you, your browser brings up a web page and there is a, a region of the page called an iframe, an, an inline frame. And the URL for that is, can be some other site. So, for example, you could cause Google Mail to come up in a frame. Well, now, 
because your browser has gone to Google Mail and said, hey, load this URL, please. Google Mail knows this as you. That is, it's, it's you. It's just exactly as if you put the, the, the Gmail URL up in the browser's main URL field and loaded the page. In this case, it's just contained in a frame. The problem is that this clickjacking exploits, it's also known as a little more formally, the formal name is UI redressing. Some people who, you know, don't like clickjacking prefer calling this UI redressing, which is also catchier. <laughs> I, I, I think so. I think clickjacking is good. So, I mean, it's, it's you know, it, as you say, it's a fun name. Yeah. So, so the idea would be that it would be possible to to hide this inline frame literally behind an opaque con uh, behind behind an opaque window where you where 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 a malicious site is put something else for example maybe a a, a game where you 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 know try to click on successive buttons in a certain pattern or or anything i mean it doesn't even have to be something so extensive and literally when you're when you think you're clicking on one thing, you're actually physically clicking buttons on the on the content that's been loaded in an in a frame underneath what you can see. And I have for people who are interested, I've got a ton of links in this week's show notes in the show notes for the for this episode of Security Now. Um, there are some demos which are benign. Which um, which have now surfaced um, that are on the net. The there are some takeaways. For example, I mean some 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 actions that people can take um, that, that we're that we'll be talking about because this is a this is something which has gotten a lot of news. It's like sort of the the current state of the art exploit, and there are it's it's become a a new popular thing um, to you know basically. Um, script kiddies and 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 people who have various sorts of intent are now they have they have a new way a new toy they can use for causing people problems okay. and as I said just disabling scripting doesn't help now so your no script your your favorite little no script plugin isn't going to fix this one oh actually it does oh um, because well not because of disabling scripting but because um, uh, George Giorgio um, um, Giorgio Mayone is the guy's name, is, is the author of NoScript. Mm-hmm. He picked up on this early. He was clued in by the security researchers about what was going on, and he's enhanced NoScript uh-huh. to specifically add a new feature that he calls ClearClick. So anyone using, Fox, uh, using um, Firefox can... It, it, actually, he's had it for some time. I already had a version just through the regular no script updates because um, this is about now about three or four weeks old since his first the, the news first surfaced. I guess about three weeks old. So he's already updated it. He's done a whole series of updates. I updated myself again when I um, was coming up to speed because he's he's had a, a, a bunch of updates. But there is now by default. No script, even when you allow scripting, it will block these types of attacks. Oh, so what he's great. Yes, it's really great, Leo. So anyone using Firefox and NoScript, 
even if you disable no script, if you say globally allow scripting for trusted and untrusted sites, he'll protect it. Basically, what he's doing is he's looking at in detail at what's going on when a user clicks something and will pop up a, um, a dialogue saying, wait a minute, you may not be clicking on what you think you're clicking. So he's actually checking the content on the fly to make sure that there aren't any games being played, which is very cool. So okay. do, do you, let's take a break and then, and then maybe you can explain a little bit about how this works. Sure. And what it looks like. Are you going to give out the URL for uh, your special test site too? Uh, sure. Or do you uh, want to keep I, it a secret? No, no. I, 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 it, it, I'll have the, the formal URL. I did create for people who just want to easily see what's going on. Um, snipurl.com, S-N-I-P-U-R-L.com slash clickjack with no ing, just C-L-I-C-K-J-A-C-K. Um, our Twit Live users can do it right now if they're curious. That will redirect your browser to a much longer and hairier URL that I do also have on this week's show notes for people who don't who don't want to use snip URL or have a, they've got browser redirects disabled or something. It's a nice little page because there's it, it sort of clearly demonstrates um, what's going on in the if you were a MySpace user, I'm not, but if you were. This would be, it, it demonstrates how you could inadvertently give the world access to your MySpace profile if you didn't intend, even though you didn't intend that, oh, but you don't have, you don't have to do that. He shows you, he's got two little links that reduces the opacity of the covering layer, allowing you to see the MySpace page that's lying underneath that you were inadvertently clicking on. And anyway, it's just a simple very visual demo that demonstrates the power of this kind of attack. So that's snipurl.com slash clickjack, C-L-I-C-K-J-A-C-K. I'll let you guys play with that while I talk about audible.com. Uh, Audible, of course, our sponsor uh, for this show and uh, most of all, I think all of the Twitch shows. The uh, URL to go to if you want to try Audible, I and mean, you've probably heard now enough about Audible that maybe you're starting to think, I ought to give this a shot is audiblepodcast.com security now. What is Audible? Well, Audible takes books, those big paper things, you know, you got on your shelves, gets the best readers in the world, many times actors, professional actors, uh, people who make their living reading, I mean, really good readers, and, and records them as audio. Audio you can download from the Audible site. Uh, 51,000 total titles. I mean, it is... It is really a remarkable, I mean, I think Audible is such a great resource. It's like having a library on your computer. And I have to say, I've become such a fan of listening to music, at, at rather uh, books, instead of listening to music. I like spoken word, you know, I guess podcasts got me started on this. And now whenever I've got a moment, <laughs> whether I'm in the car, I, you know, I drove Henry to school this morning, listen to Legacy of Ashes. The uh, Did you ever read that, Steve, the history of the CIA? Oh, interesting. Oh, man. This guy, uh, uh, it's all based on hundreds of interviews he did and complete access to the historic documents uh, that are stored at the CIA and other places. This is first person. It's not hearsay. 
It's 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 the accurate, complete history of the CIA going back to 1946 when it was formed after World War II as a kind of continuation of the OSS. It's a long book, 21 hours. Um, but you know what? You can't put it down. It is fascinating. I like it because, of course, you know, I remember these events, <laughs> you know, from Iran-Contra yeah. to, uh, you know, the Bay of Pigs and uh, and the Cuban Missile Crisis, all of these events in our history, the fall of the Berlin Wall. And I remember reading about many other events, things like the Berlin Airlift. Well, now you can read the story, hear the story right behind what, you know, what was really going on. It's kind of neat that we've got this information now. Uh, they call it a legacy of hashes because, unfortunately, the legacy of the CIA has been, uh, and this is not about politics, it's just the fact, everybody agrees, has been kind of pathetic going right up to 9-11. Um, why is the CIA not working? What's wrong with it? Some of it comes from our native uh, dislike of secrecy as Americans. We're a very open tribe. We we don't like sneaking around cloak and dagger, but it's something you need to do. Tim Weiner wrote it. I found it fascinating. I cannot put it down. It's what I'm reading right now. Just one of many, many books you can get from Audible. In fact, you can get a credit toward a book absolutely free. No charge. If you decide not to stick around, you can cancel at any time and your book is yours to keep. Audiblepodcast.com slash security. Now, good time now if you want to bone up for the election too. Right at the top of the page, they have a listen, learn, vote section. And they've compiled all the books, all the speeches, um, the debates, everything. So you can listen to it. A lot of it is free. A lot of it, especially the debate stuff, you can listen to absolutely free. Audiblepodcast.com slash security now. We thank them so much for their support of security now and, and all of the Twit podcasts. Okay, so now we are all have been playing with this page, this ClickJack page. You didn't do I this. Saw, somebody, I, somebody else designed this page, right? Uh, yeah, I saw somebody else or, or uh, somebody in, in Twit Live said, you know, holy crap, this is scary. Yeah. If, if you look at that page, you really get, it makes such a nice visceral. It's a demo, good demo. Demo that, you know, so so what this well, means and it's is. It's good to choice. The MySpace thing is a good choice because I suspect that people are actively using this to hack MySpace uh, accounts. They absolutely could. So, so the idea is that, you know, if you imagine that you, you are a normal web user, you put in a URL to, to do something, to go somewhere, to eBay or to PayPal or, or you know, MySpace, for example, where one way or another... You are known by the site. Remember, we've talked about the, the problem with persistent login. Right. So, so persistent login is a problem. But notice also, for example, that if you have Firefox, as, as I often do, remember my password, yep. then, then I go to the site, my email address or my, my username is filled in, Firefox then fills in my password. So... Notice that I've now have one click login. Even if I have logged out when I was last there, just going to that page prompts prompts my browser to log me in. Well, even though that page waits for a click, if that page were hidden behind some other screen where I would, you know, innocently click something, I would be logging in to a site with my full credentials even if I had last left it logged out. So, so logging out 
of a site doesn't protect you from this kind of exploit. So, so now imagine that you are, you know, whatever you're doing, banking or PayPal or, you know, you know, so, so something less significant like MySpace, but still something where you can imagine people just, you know, having some fun and games. You're the, the, the site has a, has a fixed layout with, with its various elements of the page mm. at known locations. Um, and so anything that you might do through a series of clicks, you could be potentially induced to doing by someone designing a, essentially a cover sheet, a, a page that is, that is over that and induces you to, to click for whatever purpose in, 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 you know, in some sequence and you think you're doing one thing, but you, you, but you, as you, that is, you know, you known to your browser and known to that site that is, has been brought up behind the scenes, you're doing something that you're not aware of. Wow. And uh, anyway, so, so the problem is it is completely cross-platform, i.e. Firefox, Safari. Well, it uses op- web standards. It's using, yeah. it's, this is how the web works. That's exactly right. And in fact, that it was of a big enough concern that 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 Robert and Jeremiah aborted their um, their presentation that they were going to give at the Open Web Application Security Project. Specifically, wow. Adobe said, "Please don't make this public," because um, several of their examples demonstrated how easy it was to cause Flash to turn on to give your to give anyone remotely access to your webcam and microphone. Mm. And so what happened is and this is one of the other takeaways. So so the first takeaway um action item from this is for Firefox users just update to the latest version of NoScript and you've got blanket protection. Um Giorgio's got NoScript up to date uh, and it has actually for some time you got blanket protection. Also the latest version of Flash Player, um, it's I think it's like ten point zero point twelve. Um, I updated both my Flash yeah, Player. Yeah, just came out actually. Just came out, yes. And and this is Adobe's response to this specifically. What I had before was nine point zero point one two four. That was a recent update. That and earlier are vulnerable to this. Mm. So Adobe has responded to this threat by updating. Flash to version ten point zero point twelve point thirty six, um, which is what's current, and it's available for all the various browsers. Wow! Uh, you want to update to that, and and then that's Adobe taking responsibility for making sure that this will no longer function. So it can be done in Flash as well as just plain old uh, HTML. Yeah, exactly. The, the 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 there is a there there's a way, for example, that if someone if a site tries to well if a site wants to look at you a, a pop-up oh, will a flash right, they will turn on the camera that's right yeah, exactly yeah. it'll yeah. pop up something saying hey yeah. this site you're visiting wants to turn on your camera right, i've seen that yeah yeah exactly well what what this click jacking or so-called ui redressing allows is that that allows that pop-up to be essentially a pop under so that it will not come up on top. It'll come up behind. And then when you and click so, OK on some other button, it, yes. it says OK to that. Exactly. Suddenly they're looking at you or listening to you. Exactly. Oh, man. And so. Oh, so, man. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, Adobe said, please don't go public with this. The guys gave a much 
toned down presentation. They were already on the schedule. They had to do something. So they, they, they kept it quiet. However, as we've seen before, just the fact that they had said something caused other researchers to figure it out. And, and it, took, it took about two days after all this first little flurry that it had been, the people had figured it out what it was. There were proof of concepts of popping up on the web. And then after, after it had been worked out, um, these guys came back and said, okay, well, since the cat's out of the bag, here's the whole story. And they, they, they gave a, a really complete layout of this. So, yeah, the, I mean, the problem is, as you said, Leo, this is not a flaw. This is, this is just the power of, of the system that has been built. I mean, the, the, the capability is so extreme now with, with frames and layers and transparency and CSS and dynamic HTML that there are, there are unintended consequences of, of this kind of power. Now, one of the things that has been done, there's something called frame breaking. Um, it's possible for a, a site to put some JavaScript in its pages where where the javascript itself says do not allow me to be in a frame that is i'm i'm a i'm a page that wants not to not function in a frame because i want to prevent any kind of frame based exploits i want to prevent the abuse of my pages being enclosed in a frame the problem is that requires javascript in order to function and there is a, a tag that Internet Explorer offers in an iframe where you, you, you crank the security up saying, I don't want, I want to bring up an iframe that is an inline frame. I want to, I want to pull up some, some content from some other site in an inline frame, but to protect myself, I want to disable any scripting. So in, in disabling any scripting, you're disabling the, the frame breaking intent which is to help you right. in a site that you're bringing up so it, it ends up being that you've got ie working against the 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 positive security enhancement of the content that you're bringing up in the frame anyway the, the point of this is it's a mess and ultimately ultimately uh, browsers will have to adapt to this there is nothing at the moment that Safari, Opera, and IE users can do. There is no, there's no similar protection that I, that I have discovered in all of my looking around that is similar to what NoScript does for people who are using Firefox. Firefox, so, NoScript, Firefox, NoScript, Firefox, NoScript. Yep. Just use it. It's, it's, it's another, free. It's one more reason. And I have to say, you know, I'm as late ado- an adopter as there is. And I mean, I really, as I said, I think it was last week that one of the things that I felt uncomfortable about Firefox was I was just afraid of incompatibility. I thought, well, you know, I don't want to have anything anywhere I go not work. Well, I've been using it now for several months. And I mean, you know, I'm not a wild surfer, but uh, I've never, never had a site that I have problems with. And since its adoption is, is such a high percentage now, webmasters, you know, it used to be that you know, only IE, you know, sites would, were only being checked in IE. Now, you know, w- especially with Apple coming on as strong as, it, as, as they are, sites have to work in Safari. They have to work in Firefox and they, as well as IE. So, again, I'm, I'm 
very pleased with Firefox. And this no script add-on is, is, a, is a beautiful solution that gives you complete protection from clickjacking. Which is very good news because I don't yeah. want anybody turning on a camera on me. No, my knowledge. I have one all the time. But that's not a good thing. When, when they're not on, I don't or, want them on. Or I mean, or transferring money out of your bank account. Or that. Yeah. Yeah. Or hack, uh, or just stealing my MySpace or Facebook page. Yes. Or exactly changing conf- configuration of standard high traffic um, sites and site experiences. You know, behind your back without your knowledge. Now, uh, we talked last time about logging out on all the sites that you don't want anybody to automatically log in. That's another thing you could do to be proactive about this, right? Yes, yeah, still a good thing to do cause it's, because the idea is that this is, this is like you going to a site and pushing buttons you don't intend to. So if you have, if you like for an eBay user, if you'd stayed in logged into eBay, you could imagine that somebody could imagine them making you push buttons you didn't intend to. There, there are things you could do you wouldn't want to do. But if you were not logged into eBay and you had to first log in, you know. then that you know there's not a way they're going to trick you into doing that. Right. Well, I, I mean, it asks you to log in, and right? You'd say, well, what are you talking about? I just, all I, I just, I wanted to punch the monkey. I'm not. Well, <laughs> unless you had you like I do have your browser configured to remember your password. There's still an okay dialogue, and so they'd have to kind of get you to click that, right? No, because that you'd think you were clicking the some submit. Oh, okay. monkey paw or right. something. So yeah, all they, they have to do is have that click click the submit button, and since it's auto-populating the login and password, that'd be enough. Exactly, and that's yeah. the problem, because yeah. you're not having to provide that explicitly. You know, we've simplified our lives by having our browsers remember how to log us on, well, in the process, we've simplified the attack because right. all we're doing is clicking, clicking OK. We don't know we're, we're actually logging on. We think we're doing something else. There's always a lot of trial and error in getting this to work. So they would have to do some click jacks that would assume you're already logged in and some that assume that you're not, but that your password's auto-filling. Yep. But I'm yep. sure they can do that. <laughs> yep. Hackers are very, if nothing, if not persistent. So our users were were sending email several weeks ago saying, "Hey Steve, talk about clickjacking." Um, now we got the whole readout on it. Uh, there, I've got lots of links for people who want to pursue this further. Um, but the, you know, the takeaways are Firefox with a new version, a recent version of NoScript, and make sure you update your your uh, your built-in Flash plugin to Adobe's latest. You just go to Adobe.com. Right on Adobe.com's homepage, it'll say get Adobe Flash Player for your various browsers. Do that and you're covered. Just just updated no script on my Firefox. And uh, just it's a good reason to keep using Firefox. And I'm not going to say I told you so. I won't. I won't do well, it. Well, no, because you know, I, I've, I've been Mr. No Script for a long time. You so. have been Mr. No Script. That's yep. true. You get credit for that. Steve Gibson is the uh, host at GRC.com. Go visit. Boy, there's lots of good reasons. I mean, of course, there's Spinrite, everybody's favorite disk recovery and maintenance utility, but it's also the home of security now. You'll get your show notes there, links to uh, the page you just mentioned, 16 kilobit versions of the show, and uh, transcripts too, so you can read along as you listen. People often find that helpful to understanding the show and every episode we've done, all 167 of them, 168 (laughs) of them now. You can also get some great free software, and uh, don't forget Shields Up when you're installing your new firewall. Uh, it's grc.com. Steve, thanks so much. I won't talk to you again until after the election. I presume that you, uh, are you going to vote on uh, the Tuesday, or are you going to uh, 
mail in your ballot or vote early? I'm thinking I'm going to vote early just because, you know, why not? It makes sense to do that. I, I know what I want to do. And uh, I think I, I like the idea of, of getting that done. It's nice. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I already I did, voted. Jennifer oh, and I already mailed our ballots in. Neat. Yep. We do neat. that every year because uh, I never know if I, it came from when I was going to Canada. And I never knew if I'd be uh, here on Election Day. Uh, I didn't uh, want to miss an election right. day. Right. So we just encourage everybody to vote. However, you know, it's this is a very important election, uh, not just the federal election, but uh, every state has some important propositions. We do it here in California. So get out there and cast your vote. Let your voice be heard. I did want to mention, uh, just to remind our listeners, I really appreciate the feedback that, that we get. It helps me, gives me ideas for the show, tells me what thing, what, what's going on, what things people think are important. And that's grrc.com slash feedback. Great. Everybody go there. And we will and have I will questions and answers next week. Next week. Next week. Thanks, Steve. Hey, Leo. Bye. Security now.